G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. This is what she said in Luke one thirty-eight. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Can you say that? Hello, my name is Bill. Welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Sometimes the world and events in our life can seem totally out of control. Today with Jeff Vines. It actually feels like that all the time at the moment. In today's episode, Pastor Jeff brings us a new message about God's plan through the chaos. He's starting in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, where the birth of Jesus is foretold. So let's hear from Pastor Jeff now to see how this all fits together. We're in Luke. We're in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. chapter 1 verse 26. And remember, this is an historical account of the birth of Christ. This is not myth. This is not legend. Read Luke chapter 1 verse 1 and you'll find out this does not read like legend. It is the historical account of the birth of Christ. And here's what we're told in starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, right there, Luke had no idea what that statement was going to do. The cathedrals would be built. The missionaries would be sent. The books would be written. The people would give up their entire lives, everything, so that people of all cultures and nations and people groups could hear that there was a time when God stepped into history, that God came near, Emmanuel, God with us. And so we go on, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly uh, favored. Now look at that, because we're going to pull that in later. You are highly favored. That's Mary. The Lord is with you. Look at Mary's response. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now why would you be troubled when the angel visits you and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. Most scholars believe that Mary was part of the Anawim community. That is a plural Hebrew word for poor or poverty. So Anawim meant pious or poor or pious poor. Typical of the Anawim community is they're separated from their parents at an early age. Did you notice when the angel tells Mary that she's going to bear the son of God, that she doesn't go and tell her mother or father. Instead, she goes and tells her cousin Elizabeth because she's separated from her mother and her father. The other aspect of the Anawim community is they spend most of their time around the temple because they're there to receive compassion from those who are more fortunate. They depend on that compassion to survive and to live. So Mary's a young girl, 13, 14, who's been living around the temple trying to get clothing and food and shelter. 
Now, the good news about that is that means she's going to hear the message in the temple, which explains why when she writes her song of joy, we call the Magnificat, there are 30 references plus of the Old Testament because she knows the Old Testament so well. Now, that makes her a perfect candidate to receive the message from the angel. But when she receives the message, you are highly favored. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of the greeting this might be. Do you know why? Because she's familiar with the Old Testament and she knows when the angel shows up, your life goes to pot. (laughs) Now look what happens. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Second time he's told her that. This is not judgment, this is favor. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. And she said, since I'm a virgin. Now, would you think that's a fair question? How am I going to have the son of God? I'm a virgin. Now, I wish we had time to dissect this language because in the original language, this is a very complex answer. But even in its complexity, there's a simplicity to it. Because basically, the angel responds by saying this, well, the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. And so the Holy One that will be born will be called the Son of God. Mary says, how can this be? Since I am a virgin, and the angel says, God is going to overshadow you. You're going to become pregnant, and you're going to bear a child, and he will be called the Son of God. Now, how many in the room associate the name Jesus with Son of God? Okay, over one half the world. Billions of people associate the name Jesus with Son of God. So there's a prediction and a prophecy that's already come true. Jesus' name is synonymous with Son of God. Amazing, isn't it? 2,000 years ago, and yet here we are. And then the Bible says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. So here's what the angel says. I know you're gonna have a difficult time with this, Mary, But you know your cousin Elizabeth, who's said to be barren? Even now, she's in her sixth month of pregnancy. And when you see her next time, she's going to share with you about the child. And then the angel finishes by saying something extremely powerful. My word, basically, for no word of God will ever fail. In English, you could translate that by saying this. What I say goes in every situation all of the time. Okay? So Mary, don't doubt because the word of the Lord will never fail. What God says in every situation will never fail. Now I tell you that, and I'm about to get a little crass here, but you're, you're, you're adults. You can take it, right? Because it's a good thing because after the angel says that to Mary, the angel leaves and Mary, as far as we know, never sees the angel again. And then you know what happens in Mary's life? All hell breaks loose. First of all, she's a teenage girl pregnant with no answer except this. God is the father. (laughs) Yeah. She goes to the temple. Mary, you've been hanging around the temple. I noticed that you're showing. Yeah, God is the father. That's blasphemy, man. You get stoned for those kind of things. She has to go tell her own family if her own family is still around. Mom, dad, I'm pregnant. Yeah, we noticed. God is the father. She's got to explain that to Joseph's family. Uh, Joseph, we noticed that Mary, you're betrothed. You, you know, what's going on here? She's praying. God's the father. Scholars think Joseph is a member of the group called the Tzaddik, the righteous ones, that he has a place in the synagogue, the temple rather. We know he has a carpenter shop in Nazareth, right? But we also know that we never hear another word about Joseph. 
after the birth of Jesus, other than waiting on the sun in the temple? What? The good chances are that Joseph lost everything because of this. You can't be betrothed and the woman you're going to marry is already pregnant with child and keep your place in the temple. You can just see him putting up closed on the carpenter shop. You talk about bad timing after that. Caesar Augustus declares a census. Now you'd think God would have saw that coming, would have seen that coming, right? Joseph has to go to Mary and say, Mary, I know you're pregnant, but we got to take a long trip on a donkey. So Miss Favorite of God is going to take a 120-mile donkey ride. And it takes so long to get there, by the time they get there, there's no room where in the inn. And again, you think God would have seen that coming. Could God not call ahead and make a reservation for one night at the Holy Day Inn? It could have happened. And so Miss Favored, Miss I am bearing the Son of God, Miss His kingdom will reign forever, can't even get a bed for one night. Really, God? You can't call ahead and make a one-night reservation? You could forgive Mary as her story continues to deteriorate if she would have said, God, this is your doing. Can you not help out a little bit? I mean, are you in control or are you not? Are you managing this whole situation or are you not? And then to make matters worse, Herod finds out about a rumor of a king. And then he wants his name to be forever. He wants his kingdom to last forever. So what does he do? He issues a decree that if you're honest with yourself, overshadows the romance of the Christmas story. Because he orders the slaughter of every child in Israel, two years and under. So now you think about that for a moment. You just close your eyes and you hear the screams and the cries of all these children being murdered. And you could forgive Mary if Mary stopped and thought, God, you saved my, my child's life, but you did nothing to save the other children. In fact, I'm the cause. This is the cause of the death of thousands of children two years and under. I mean, what about those parents? How are they going to connect the dots of their lives? How's it going to make any sense? And God, if you saved the life of my child, could you not have saved the lives of those children? And by the way, why didn't you just send an angel to kill Herod? Now, that's the kind of God I want. A God who opens up a can on all evil and sin. <laughs> Except my evil and sin. Right? And then Mary has to travel 200 miles. Running for her life and the life of her child to Egypt. And I, I could understand. She said, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, why does Mary have to go all through this? Now, I'm going to be crass for the second time. And don't misunderstand her. You'll say, Pastor Jeff said some bad things, but I want you to hear me on this. You could forgive Mary if she said, God, you got me pregnant, man up. <laughs> you know, God up. I mean, is this your child or not? How about a little help? How about a little safety? How about a little cottage in which to live and raise this child? Why am I running to Egypt? Can't you just protect me and let me stay at home? Is it too much to ask? I'm carrying your child. How about a little help? And then Mary, she'll stand outside a courtyard as Jesus grows older. And she'll have great difficulty understanding him, but she knows. She knows the promise. She remembers it. His kingdom will last forever. It will be Jesus, the Son of God. And then she stands outside that courtyard and she watches as the Romans will take her son, her boy, who's grown to be a man, 
and they will scourge him. No mother should ever have to watch her son tortured and beaten like Jesus was. And they'll lay those two whips on Jesus' back. And the second one, remember, being those leather strands and leather sockets and chips of bone designed to pull the flesh of Jesus. It was called halfway death. The Romans were very good at scourging, very good. They had perfected crucifixion. They could keep you alive for as long as possible so that you could suffer the most possible. And then she will watch her son carry a cross, a 200-pound beam called a patabulum, and he will carry that up to the Mount, God, Mount Hill, the, the Mount Golgotha, or the hill there where he's crucified. And she will watch them place a crown of thorns on his head of two inch to five inch quills that grow in around Jerusalem. And she'll be following along, watching the pain and suffering of her son. And then he'll be nailed to a cross. And they'll drive those nails through the median nerve we talked about. We got a new word called excruciating. Excruciating is an English word that means out of the cross because there was no other word to describe the pain of crucifixion. It is the worst form of capital punishment ever. And then Jesus will be near death and Mary will be at at the foot of the cross and Jesus will see his mother. And according to John chapter 19, Jesus will say, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, John, he will say, here is your mother. And the Bible tells us from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Now, John was not the son of Jesus, sorry, the son of Mary. And Mary was not the mother of John. But Jesus, knowing that he's going to die, has concern for his mother and says, John, would you take my mom into your house and take care of her? Now, do you think there was a time in Mary's life especially this time as she stood at the foot of the cross, that she'd be thinking of this. What on earth happened to his kingdom lasting forever? What a senseless, random, chaotic event that makes no sense to me whatsoever. What great purpose could this possibly have? How on earth is it possible to connect these dots with what the angel told me some 33 years ago? Do you think it's possible that Mary saw this whole crucifixion event as another random act of violence by the Romans with no purpose whatsoever. And of course, what's the answer to that? Yes. But in your mind, had God lost control at any point? No. As a matter of fact, isn't it possible that all these dark dots that we thought were chaotic and random were actually all part of the plan and will of God to accomplish his greatest objective, the salvation the reconciliation, the restoration, and eternal life for all who would call on the name of the Lord. But how do you know how that story ends? Because you've read the rest of it. Can I ask everybody in the room and anybody watching or listening, isn't it possible that what is happening to you right now in your life is not random? Will you just give me, for the sake of argument, the possibility that everything that is happening to you right now is not random and that the real tree of Christmas is not the Christmas tree, but the cross. And as you stand back and wonder if the things that are happening to you are random, that you could look at it through the shadow of the cross and every question that comes into your mind, you could answer it through that shadow. And if you did, would you not say something like this? 
man, at the moment when it looked as though God was not involved to any degree, he was involved to the nth degree. When it looked least involved, he was most involved. When things looked most random, they were least random. When they looked least ordered, they were most ordered. When they looked least connected, they were most connected. When they looked least meaningful, they were most meaningful. When they looked least essential, they were most essential. William Cowper, who suffered more than any of us will ever dream, said that blind belief or unbelief is sure to err and scan his works in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Isn't it interesting, although I meandered through what Mary might have done, the reality is we don't read any of those words in the scripture. What we do read is that Mary probably knew what was about to happen, and yet this is what she said in Luke 1.38, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Can you say that? I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I want to introduce you quickly to David Marroquin. I visited him in the hospital this past week. He's a new hero of mine. I went just to spend maybe 30 minutes with him. I ended up staying most of the morning. And I met his beautiful wife, Melissa. And I got to see some photos on the hospital wall of their two sons. David is quite incredible. He's one of those guys, one of those stories that most of you will never hear about or read about, who came in in one of our outreach services. And he heard the preacher say that if you come to Christ, your entire past is forgiven no matter what you've done because your acceptance before God is not based on your past, but Christ's past and what he did on the cross. He could not run to be baptized fast enough. And he came on one of those Sundays when we had the pool and he got baptized, changed his life forever. He came every day, every weekend right here with his Bible open, listening, praying, learning, David and his wife, Melissa, had a little boy by the name of Daniel. And Daniel lived for 19 days and died. So they got to hold little Daniel in their arms. David told me the story, it devastated him. And he asked for help from God to heal and to understand. And he says he had a dream where little Daniel was being carried up by the angels. And little Daniel said to the angels, are my parents okay? David just started crying and he said, Jeff, the Lord showed me that my son Daniel is going to be shown the wonders of the universe and to be in the presence of God. He ran a marathon not too long after the loss of Daniel and he made shirts up so that everybody could see what he was running for with a cross and words on the back of those shirts. And an excerpt from this reads like this, God, we come to you in search of strength and endurance as we're about to take this journey in the name of our beloved son, Daniel. May this journey help us reflect on not only ourselves, but on our love for you and our loved ones so that we may cherish every day we have with each other. And he ran with that on the back of his shirt and they came close to the end of the marathon. And it's very difficult when you hit a wall and you got to run a few more miles. And he heard some people over in the, in the crowd saying, Daniel is proud of you. Daniel is proud of you. And he said, I got so much strength and energy at that point. I made it to the finish line. David's wife, Melissa, going to have a baby in February. But David has been diagnosed with leukemia. But I want you to hear what David said to me. Pastor Jeff, this is not the end. And this is not random. God is going to do something special. 
but Pastor Jeff, I am not afraid to die. How do you get such maturity in such a short time? Because that sounds an awful lot like me of what Mary said, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. Can I just remind you that at that point in your life from here on out, that you think that what's happening to you, all this chaos, that there's no way possible that God could be involved somehow, that you would pause and you would look at the cross and remember that God became a man, Emmanuel, God with us, and he will walk with you through whatever chaotic situation he calls you to endure. And he will connect the dots so that one day, and it may not be till eternity, but one day you'll be able to look back and see, wow, when I thought God was least involved, he was most involved. So that when our job loss seems random and unredeemable, or our relational loss seems random and unredeemable, or our disease seems random and unredeemable, or our barrenness seems random and unredeemable, you will remember that Jesus came and that God is with us. And among all the chaos, God is able to make beauty and pattern and design. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. Can you say that? One, two, three. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. See, I think if I put the phrase up there, I am the Lord's servant, may he open the financial blessings and rain down on my life, that the, that the passion and vigor with which you would have said that would have raised the roof off this building. But, but this is different, isn't it? Can we try one more time? One, two, three. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. Now, here's what I've learned in my life. This is the end of the sermon. This is what I've learned. Biblical faith, real faith, is not believing that God will move the way you want him to. Real faith, biblical faith, is believing in God when he doesn't move at all. Did you hear the difference between the two? Real faith, biblical faith, is not believing that God will move the way you want him to, but real faith, biblical faith, is believing in God when he doesn't move at all. And you're willing and able to believe that among all the chaos, God will bring beauty pattern, and design. The real tree of Christmas is the cross that reminds us when all seems lost, all is one. Father, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for that in times when we just feel like we can't connect the dots, that we can make no sense, that life seems so random, that even in that, there is beauty and pattern and there's design that you are the God that steps into history. Past, present, future, you are here. Emmanuel, God with us. And I pray for those who are hurting, for those who feel like their life is so full of chaos, there can be no rhyme or reason or purpose, that you would step into their lives and you would open their eyes and you would comfort them and give them the ability to look through the shadow of the cross and to interpret everything they see through its power, a time when all seemed to be lost, random, chaotic. God, you were doing your best work to bring healing 
and restoration and eternity and goodwill and peace on earth to all mankind. In the name of your Son, Jesus, the Son of God, amen. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. And that wraps up this message, looking at God's plan through the chaos. And He does have a plan through it all, even if we don't see it. They're thinking there's no way possible now, it's too late, and then gives her a child. That's so like God. It is. There's something about God not wanting to share His glory with anybody. And sometimes it's when we've come to the end of ourselves and really given up total control. And we know the only way this can happen is God, that God steps in and delivers. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.